there, I'm Leah Ben Miller, the worship leader of the local church, and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold, inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina, and our mantra is our mission, love where you are. We gather for affirming, anchoring, and empowering worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Woods Charter School and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Our scripture reading this morning is from Gospel According to Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the righteousness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways will be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And and we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. 
Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Today, my friends, is a big one. It's a big day uh, for us here. Four years ago this week, we had our first official worship service as the local church. Yeah. Um, we got together at House of Hops with, uh, with uh, 140 of our closest friends, House of Hops in Pittsburgh, which uh, if you've been there, you know it's a place that uh, is not a good place for 140 people um, to all be together. But uh, I preached in front of the bar there, and uh, our bathrooms were hidden not behind a wall of curtains, but behind a wall of beer. Um, Sweet Baby Jesus, the name of a beer, was on tap that day. We relegated the kids to the back corner uh, just to try to make it work and and uh, it was a good time. It was holy chaos, which is kind of what we do here also. Um, and so many folks made that happen. Um, some of you who are here today were there four years ago when we first launched. And, uh, and so we thank God for you. And in some ways, it feels like just yesterday. In other ways, it feels like such a long time. Four years ago, September 15th, 2019. But then... Soon as we were getting in a rhythm, six months later, March 2020, the world shut down. COVID-19 brought everything to a standstill, pivot, and unprecedented became the buzziest buzzwords, right? Our worship moved online just like so much else did. School, yoga, work. I vividly remember the fear the anxiety, the disorientation of those early days of the pandemic. Maybe, maybe you do too. It was a moment of crisis. Don't think that's too strong of a word, crisis. Against the backdrop of full calendars, of busy lives, of the relentless pursuit for more partisan bickering, racial injustice, all of the things. It was a record scratch moment that forced us to stop. We had no other choice than to confront and be confronted with so many questions, with a new reality that we didn't see coming and had no control over. What if the way things were, we asked, wasn't how they had to be? In this moment of crisis, something had to give. For me, it was the realization that I could be a different father for the first time in years. I was at home every night, no evening obligations, no reason to go anywhere, and I could tuck my kids into bed. When I, when I had no choice but to have no plans, I got to experience 
what I had been missing. Maybe you experienced that or something different. Maybe for you it was that you could be a different friend, reconnecting with people that you maybe had lost touch with. Remember Zoom happy hours? Remember them when that was a thing, right? Uh, maybe, maybe it was that you could be a different citizen, a commitment to simplicity when the curtain was peeled back and you saw the amount of need that there was. Maybe it was a reckoning about your vocation. Maybe it was a sense of unity and solidarity when disparities became much more evident. Do you remember, remember people cheering for healthcare workers? You remember stuffed animals in windows? And that sense of we're all in this together? A moment of crisis. A moment of crisis. Today's scripture reading from the gospel according to Luke. Luke's narrative account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus presents a similar crisis for those in the crowd who have come to listen, who have come to be baptized by John on the shores of the Jordan. A similar record scratch moment that stops everything and forces some good, hard questions. We'll get into it here, but first, as we begin, let's just be quiet for a moment. Holy God, meet us here in this record scratch moment, in this moment of pause, in this moment of reflection, this moment of attentiveness. They are so few and far between for us, O oh God. And, and so meet us here. Awaken us. Fill our hearts, our souls, our imaginations in this moment of crisis such that the way things are isn't how they have to be. Speak, O oh Lord. Speak in and through me, O oh God. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be accepting in your sight our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Luke sets the scene. This moment of crisis is set against the backdrop of Roman Empire, against the backdrop of oppressive forces that seek to gain and maintain power, influence, wealth. That's what all of those names meant at the beginning of the passage that Nicole read. Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Annas, Caiaphas. Luke is painting a picture of a world that Jesus breaks into. This is the center of power, the center of influence, the, the ones who order all things. And the prevailing wisdom at the time is you would do well to go along to get along. Maintain the status quo. Don't rock the boat. Which is in large part what those in the crowds who've made their way to John have been doing even without realizing it. Going along to get along. And it's not their fault, really. What choice do they have? Caught up in the system, ensnared by empire? This is the water in which they have been swimming, and they may not have an imagination for what else might be possible, that the way things are isn't the way that they have to be. It's against this backdrop that John, taking on the mantle of prophet, stepping into the role that Isaiah had long ago foretold, it's against this backdrop that John hits them with this banger of an opening line. He said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. 
Do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. It's one heck of a way to win friends and influence people, isn't it? You brood of vipers. We didn't cover that in preaching class. But here's the rub for John. He's the one sent to prepare the way of the Lord, to make way for Jesus. That's what, that's what he's all about, pointing to the one who is to come. Jesus, who will bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberation for the oppressed, who will restore the marginalized to community, who will bring healing and restoration everywhere he goes. And John doesn't want them to miss it. John doesn't want them to miss it, but those who've gathered, those who've gathered, they've found themselves in a bit of a malaise, ensnared by empire. There's a sense that they may say all the right things and claim to believe all the right things. They may identify as God's people, but without the actions to back it up. It's pointless. They're going to miss it. This is what John means when he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, your actions have to be in alignment with your words, with your thoughts, with your beliefs. And so these words from John are meant to be a wake-up call. It's meant to be a record-scratch moment for those in the crowd as if to say, you can't go on like this. You can't just keep going through the motions. These words from John are meant to evoke a crisis, a turning point. This is what repentance means, after all, simply to change direction. John is saying, y'all, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. You have to examine your life. The way things are isn't the way that they have to be. I remember in those early days of the pandemic, maybe you do too, there were blog posts and think pieces and tweets about all that we were learning from this shared experience, about how on the other side of this, things will be different, but how the way things are isn't the way that they're going to be. You remember those? Just a question. Three and a half years on, how are we doing? What might John have to say to us? Because I don't know about you, but at least for me, things don't seem a whole lot different now than they were March of 2020. In fact, they may even be worse in some areas. I've often found myself again at that relentless breakneck pace, trying to fit everything in, trying to do all the things, all the meetings, emails, phone calls, soccer practice, dance class, family time, respond to the text, drop off, pick up, running from one place to the next. I know you. I hear you. I know that it's not just me who has to call your parents, call about the broken appliance or the car repair, call the congressperson, pay the bills, plan the wedding, do the homework, work the other job, stay home with a sick kid, and somehow also get at least seven hours of sleep every night. Believe me when I tell you it is no small miracle that you are here today. (laughs) Praise God. Yesterday I went to pick up the cookies and the cupcakes from Carolina Cravings, uh, our friends there wanting to help us celebrate our fourth birthday-ish. And uh, Yara, the owner, uh, she said, hey, how have you been? And without thinking, I said, good, busy, but good. Busy, but good. Without thinking, my default response, canned response, maybe yours too, sometimes busy. In his excellent book, 
the ruthless elimination of hurry. Pastor John Mark Comer tells the story of a conversation that he had, um, or conversation that his mentor, a pastor and author named John Ortberg, had with his mentor, a pastor and author named Dallas Willard. It was the late 1990s, and John Ortberg had called Dallas up for some advice in a moment of crisis, recognizing that the way things are isn't how they have to be. John asked Dallas this question. What do I need to do to become the me I want to be? And he said there was a long pause, which was often the case when talking to Dallas. And Dallas responded, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John responds. Next slide. There should be one more. John says, okay, I'll just tell you. Okay, there it is. Okay, got it. Anything else? (laughs) To which Dallas responds again after a long pause, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And we feel this hurry, right? Anybody ever moved to a different checkout line? (laughs) So you'll go by quicker? the grocery store, whizzed by somebody in traffic who was going too slow? Anybody not come to a complete stop at the stop sign before moving through the intersection? Anybody get your kids ready to get out the door and you say, all right, come on, hurry up, hurry up, we gotta go. Is that just me? Do we know something about this? Corey Tinboom once quipped, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. The devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And for so many of us, this is our reality. Hurry is the water we swim in, caught up in a system that keeps pushing for more, ensnared by the empire of speed and productivity, of advertising and distraction, believing the lies that our identities are bound up in our work, in what we do, that that we control our own destiny, that we have to be superhuman and do all of the things and do them well or else, fearful that God may not provide for us. We find ourselves beholden to the tyranny of the urgent. We often end up irritable, sick, numb. And when that happens, what's the first to go? The important, right? The things that you may have named matter the most to you. The prayer time, the community, the reading, scripture, the presence with those you love the stuff that makes your life really worth living. If this is true for you, I want you to know that you're not alone because it's true for me too. But it's more far-reaching than our personal lives, I think. I have this, this working theory, this rough draft uh, in my head that the, the tyranny of our toxic, frenetic pace is actually a significant contributor to the parts of our lives and the parts of the world that seem to be breaking apart at the seams. Because in our hurry, when we lack the intentional time spent loving God, loving neighbor, loving our true selves, feeling the dirt beneath our toes, appreciating the land that we've been given, experiencing the life that really is life in our hurry, 
we end up passing right by all of those things. We end up becoming more and more disconnected from all of it, more and more detached from each other, from our life source. And I think this is part of why we have such a hard time trusting each other. It's part of why we might feel so much anger or feel it directed toward us. Why we're so quick to dismiss somebody else. Why we feel such partisan fractures so deeply in our families, our relationships. I don't think it's too much of a stretch even to say that hurry contributes to racial injustice. Contributes to the climate crisis. Because we're just moving so fast. So what might John the Baptist say to us? First, I think he'd bring us to a moment of crisis. He'd say, stop it. Stop it. He may not call us a brood of vipers, or he may. But could this be our moment of repentance? An invitation to do something different, to acknowledge that the way things are isn't how they have to be. And what I love What I love is what comes next in this passage that you heard Nicole and Joanna and Ted read this morning. Some people in the crowd start to ask John what they should do. What does it look like to bear fruit worthy of repentance? And here's what John says in reply. He said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what about us? What should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. It's pretty straightforward, though not nearly as brash as you might expect from John here. Basically, if someone needs a coat, needs some food, give it to him. If you're a tax collector, John says, be honest. (laughs) If you're a soldier, don't be a bully. And here's what I want you to notice. Let's say someone needs a coat. Let's say someone needs some food. Someone needs a little bit of extra love. How do you know? If you hurry past, you might not realize it. You have to spend time long enough with someone to know. In other words, you have to slow down. You have to eliminate hurry. You can't see it otherwise. That's why when Paul describes love to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 13, you know that passage? What's the first thing he says about love? Love is patient. Love is patient. And it's why I love this idea that Jesus moved at three miles per hour. You ever think about that? He walked everywhere. We shouldn't miss that. Today we might imagine somebody like him having a driver or an administrative assistant booking all of his meetings or, or somebody giving him background on people who come to him. Hey, Jesus, this guy is, you know. Or helping him escape from meetings to make sure he's on time for his next thing. But that's not this Jesus. In his book, The Three Mile an Hour God, Kosuke Koyama wrote this. God walks slowly because God is love. If God is not love, God would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. As anybody who's ever loved or been loved will tell you, 
Love takes time. It's impossible to love at high speeds. Hurry and love are incompatible. And so the invitation this morning is not just to slow down, but to live unhurried. Not just because it's what we're supposed to do, but because it's who Jesus is. It's how he lived. Not frantically buzzing from one thing to the next, but moving slowly, intentionally, attentively. Notice that Jesus never says, y'all go ahead, I'll catch up. He says, follow me. Follow me. When we may be tempted to race ahead of him, he says, follow me. And that's our invitation, to follow him at his pace, three miles an hour, unhurried. When we do, slowly, when we, we give our attention to what matters, when we do, when we do who we are, And who we are becoming becomes more important than where we end up. We might feel a peace that we didn't know was possible. We might have greater capacity for compassion, connection, and presence. When we do, it's easier to remember our belovedness, to rest in it. Remember that for other people as well. The way things are isn't the way they have to be. But you know what else? Institutions, especially churches aren't immune to this plague of hurry either. Pastor friend once said to me, ah, Brent, I feel like a Christian cruise ship director. All of the programming, right? I feel that so deeply. I feel that pressure to keep up, to do all the things, to offer all the things, to come up with compelling sermon series with catchy titles every four to six weeks to keep you interested, to keep you engaged. But maybe... Maybe on the fourth anniversary of the launch of weekly worship for the local church, this too could be an invitation for us to do something different. A moment of crisis. Perhaps this morning, the way things are don't have to be the way that they have to be, that they can be. You may have noticed that we've started using some fresh new language here at the local church to describe ourselves. Leah said it this morning that we are an unapologetically inclusive, Jesus-centered community. Unapologetically inclusive, Jesus-centered. Both things can be true. These are not mutually exclusive. But to prove it, we have to really dig deep and unpack who Jesus is. And this, as we're learning this morning, takes time. Time spent, it's slow work. To know who Jesus is, we have to spend time with Jesus, move at his pace. And so, starting today, we're going to do something we've never done before. Starting today and continuing through the next season of our life together, this is the work that we'll be about. We're going to move slowly and intentionally, unhurried, through the gospel according to Luke. Luke's biography of Jesus. And we're going to meet Jesus there. We're going to walk with him there, come to know him better there. And the invitation is for you to come alongside, to walk with us. We'll take our time. We'll move at the speed of love, at the speed of Jesus, unpacking a little bit more every week. We we start this morning with Luke chapter 3. And the invitation is that as we walk with Jesus, walk and not run. You don't say, hey, I'm going to run with Jesus, right? We walk with Jesus, this unhurried pace will leak into our own lives. So this is our intention for the next season of life together, moving at the speed of love through Luke's gospel. 
that we might come to know who Jesus is. This Jesus who calls us to follow him and discover what it means to be an unapologetically inclusive, Jesus-centered community. So my friends, here is my prayer for you. If you feel like you've been going through the motions of your faith or you feel ensnared in the empire of productivity, busyness, and more, I pray that this will be a moment of crisis for you, one of those record-scratch moments, a chance to recognize that the way things are isn't how they have to be. And I pray that you'll give yourself the grace to slow down and let your soul catch up to your body. If you have felt harried and, and hurried, carrying the weight of the world, quick to react and maybe an anxiousness buzzing just beneath the surface, I pray that you'll have the courage to embrace an unhurried life, moving at the speed of love and that it would give you a chance to remember your own belovedness, remember what really matters, reconnect with the divine, with others, with all of creation. And I pray that it's not just good for you, but it's good for the world too. And I pray that in this next season, we might as a community ruthlessly eliminate hurry, embodying a different countercultural way of living and moving in the world, cutting against the grain, not racing ahead, but following Jesus at his pace, coming to notice and see all that we perhaps moved too fast to see before. I pray all of this in the name of God who moves at three miles per hour. Amen. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church, or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you are.